please turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're in the final passage this morning, uh, wrapping up this series that we've been in since uh, just after Easter, since the spring, we've been working our way through First and 2 Thessalonians. Paul's uh, the, the, Paul, the missionary church planter, and his team of missionaries writing letters to believers in the churches that they helped to start um, in the city of Thessalonica in the north region of Greece. We're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 18. I have always been thankful that as a church, uh, even though we're all, we're all living in the same uh, rural region of northern Illinois, that we reflect uh, in this congregation many different walks of life, particularly in terms of employment. We, we've got blue-collar and white-collar workers. We've got executives and entry-level farming, manufacturing, construction, retail, healthcare, education, on and on. And, and of course, those who work at home raising a family. Our, our church has people from so many sectors of the economy that in one sense, uh, the work that we do, our employment doesn't matter um, in one sense. It doesn't usually come up at church except maybe in small talk. How was, how was your week? Um, and anytime we talk about unemployment, it's often because, well, it's a prayer request, like somebody needs a job. Let's, let's pray for them. Unemployment comes up at the end of Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, and it's not as a prayer request. It was a problem. There were some believers, it wasn't that some believers couldn't find work or were unable to work, it was that some were actually unwilling to work. And that created problems in the church. It impacted the church as a whole and required a response. So, with that set up, let's read our passage Listen as I fo- and follow along as, as I read 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 18. That's the conclusion of the letter. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies, Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This is God's Word. God's Word for us today. Now, you might think the theme for this sermon is is simple. Get a job. Well, it's it's a little more complicated than that. There's a little more to it than that because uh, when you consider the impact 
uh, on the church and the and on the faith that we say we share. So here's here's the message. Here's the theme: pursue discipleship and preserve fellowship by working as those who live in the presence of Christ. Pursue discipleship and preserve fellowship by working as those who live in the presence of Christ. Now that maybe just on the face of it, that might not grab you, uh, but let me, let me see if I can convince you just how important that all of that is and all that in this text. Let's take that first part of, of my statement there as the first part of this sermon. Pursue discipleship. Follow this example and command. Earn your keep and keep doing good. So, verse 6, where I started reading, uh, Paul commands the church as a whole to respond to a problem in just some, we don't know how many, just some, a few maybe, individual believers. We're going to talk about the individual problem in this first point and then the group response in the second point. What's the problem? Verse 6, any brother who is walking in idleness and thus not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. He used that word tradition, Paul used that word tradition, um, back in chapter 2, verse 15, and I explained it a couple of sermons ago, that he's not talking about, you know, various customs of their Greco-Roman culture. He's talking about teachings of the Christian faith, which he and his team of missionaries had received, and then they passed down to these new believers to be kept by that next generation of Christians without changing it. It's it's a tradition in that sense. It's something to be passed down and kept without changing it. And they passed that down, that is Paul and his missionaries passed down the received tradition of Christian faith and practice in two ways that we see in the verses that follow, uh, by example and by command. So verses 7 through 9 talk about their their example. Let me read those again to get those uh, clear for us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. That's the first way they are teaching, passing down this tradition by their example. And if some of this sounds familiar to you, if you've been with us through this series, he said way back in his first letter uh, in 1 Thessalonians 2, he said much the same thing. We toiled and labored night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And his point there in that first letter was about their integrity as missionaries. They they weren't in it for the money. They weren't trying to just, uh, you know, make a buck by their teaching and preaching ministry. Uh, here, even though, there's a different point, even though they had the right to expect compensation uh, for ministry, they surrendered that right in order to give these believers, these new disciples, an example to imitate. Can, can we take a moment to, to apply this to our church? How are we to go about discipleship, learning how to follow Jesus? Of course, we, we have these times, that whether in small groups or Sunday school classes or worship services, where we teach the Bible, teach Christian doctrine and belief. But there also needs to be teaching about Christian behavior as well that impacts Monday through Friday, not just Sunday. Do we teach by our verbal instruction as well as by our example? 
And here, I want to, uh, to give some appreciation to our non-staff leadership in our church, our, our, our lay elders, deacons, deaconesses especially. I mean, this is true of all of our volunteers to some degree, but those who are particularly invested in our ministry. As a, as a church, we have chosen to support Logan and me full-time in ministry, ministry full-time with full-time salaries. But there are so many people who, um, other leaders, who work full-time jobs. I mean, some of them are retired, but many of them work full-time jobs. And so that whatever they do in ministry is on top of that, uh, above and beyond their work hours. So you put that all together, and for those, those uh, faithful servants here, they are, they are indeed toiling and laboring night and day in the work of ministry. And if you say, well, okay, that's, I see some of the ministry that they do around here, but I don't, you know, I don't see what they, the work they do during the week. Well, can I say, I think I can say this safely, speaking for our, our elders, deacons, deaconesses, that uh, they would be, I would, I would hold any of them to you, uh, before you as good examples of work, and, and many of them would, would be uh, open to talking with you about how do they do their Monday through Friday work to the glory of God. If that's something that that is not clear to you, or, or you don't feel like you've got a, a good understanding of what does it mean for a Christian to live Monday through Friday in the workplace in the, or in the home as a homemaker uh, to please God in the work that you do. Um, so if you, if you need that example, we've got people who would love to talk with you about that. In our passage, the, the example of Paul and his missionaries uh, is very specific. They, he says, we are working to provide for our own needs rather than depending on the generosity of others. And you see that specifically in verse 8 when he says, we didn't eat anyone's bread without paying for it. Instead, we worked hard, toil and labor. We worked long, night and day, so that we weren't a burden to any of you. So it's not so much that Paul is, is promoting merely a self-sufficient attitude It's that he doesn't want to impose unnecessarily, inappropriately on other people in the church. So, and that example, verses seven to nine, is consistent with their command. They practiced what they preached, and that command is in verses ten to thirteen. Let's look at those again. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command: if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Now, you might see the footnote at the end of verse 12, earn their own living. Uh, The footnote in the ESV says, or just literally, eat their own bread. Now, the translation, I understand why the translators do that. I try to be generous with, uh, you know, like, oh, they got it wrong here. No, I, I, I know what they're getting at because uh, it's, an, it's meant to be an expression, uh, eat your own bread. But, of course, he is not just thinking about literal bread. He's meaning about uh, working so that they are providing for themselves for food, for clothing, for shelter. And yet, bread is kind of a symbolic of the, that whole reality, earning your own living. But here's why it's important that we know that it literally says, eat their own bread. It kind of carries over the theme here, the thread that's running through this passage. I don't know if, you see, if you're seeing this. Verse 8, 
Paul says, we worked so that we didn't eat anybody else's bread without paying for it. Um, verse 10, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And, and by that, I mean, I think safe to presume that he's not, they're not going around, you know, knocking food out of people's hands. So, nope, you can't eat. No, he's saying we're not going to, don't feed someone who's not willing to work. Or verse 12, do your, the, that command, do your work quietly and eat your own bread, the bread that you have earned. So all this talk about eating bread, earning your own bread, reminded me of something uh, I'm, a, I'm a failed history teacher. I, I, this is what I studied in college. I was remembering something that, that I remembered Abraham Lincoln saying. I had to look it up. This is not like I remembered exactly that it was from the Lincoln-Douglas debates of Alton, Illinois on October, October 15th of 19, 1858. I didn't remember all that. I looked it up. When he was comparing, uh, Abraham Lincoln comparing the tyrannical uh, government to slavery, he said, it is the same principle in whatever shape it develops itself. It is the same spirit that says, you work and toil and earn bread, and I'll eat it. No matter in what shape it comes, whether from the mouth of a, a king who seeks to bestride the people of his own nation and live by the fruit of their labor, or from one race of men as an apology defense for enslaving another race, it is the same tyrannical principle. You work and toil and earn bread, and I'll eat it. What Lincoln was pointing out was the fundamental injustice of expecting someone else to work while you get to eat. Or to use a less sophisticated example, uh, do you remember the story of the little red hen? Not, not chicken little, the sky's falling. The little red hen. Uh, do do kid, parents tell their kids this story anymore? I, I don't know. Little red hen finds some wheat in the barnyard. And he's like, well, and she says, who? she asks all the other barnyard animals, who will plant the wheat? You know the story, right? Not I, said the cat. Not I, said the cow. Not I, said the pig. Not I, said the rat. Uh, so the little red hen did. And on she goes through every step of the process of getting from finding a few grains of wheat to making bread. She goes, who will harvest the wheat? Who will grind it into flour? Who will bake the bread? And every time, not I, said the cat. Not I, said the cow. Not, you know, and so on. And so she did. She, every time, she ends up doing it. She plants the wheat, she harvests the wheat, she grinds the wheat in the flour, she bakes the bread. Finally, little red hen, who will eat the bread? And suddenly the story changes. I will, said the cat. I will, said the cow. I will, yeah. Little red hen says, no, I will. And she did. Now, the lesson's clear. You need to do the work if you want to enjoy the bread. But, the, but that important lesson that I'd say is, is in here, is not the whole picture, not, not, not the whole picture, not the whole picture even in, in, the, in Thessalonica. See, none of what's going on here means that the church should not be generous as well. That's really important. It should not be generous toward those who are truly needy, legitimately in need. From the very earliest days of the church, as, as seen in the book of Acts, uh, I mean, the, right after Pentecost, people, uh, believers, uh, liquidating assets to be able to give to those in need, in genuine need. Organizing ministries to dis distribute food to widows, those who are poor and unable to work, that's key, unable to provide for themselves. And it's, it's strongly implied, I think, even in this own passage, that the same kind of feeding ministry was going on here in Thessalonica, whether it was an organized program or just sort of informal sharing uh, of food among the congregation. Paul says, we didn't eat your food without paying for it. 
Don't feed those who are unwilling to work. And you idlers, work so that you can uh, feed yourself, not taking from the church. You see, that's, that's all it's implied right here. And so Paul is confronting the abuse, but that doesn't negate or nullify or rule out generosity. It can't. It must not in the life of the church. So let's think about um, uh, the ways that we should be eager to show mercy to the hungry, but not support those unwilling. We, we, we apply that in a number of ways. I mean, as a church, we do um, ha- try to have a balance of ministries. Both we, we support our local food pantry through uh, funds and through volunteers, uh, even leadership in our, our pantry. Um, we support those in providing food for those in need. But we, we don't just do emergency relief, and we don't feed people every day. I mean, there's, it's, it's, we give them a little bit to help them get by. But we, we, we do something beyond that. Our faith and finance class uh, helps people get their finances in order, um, learning how to make a budget, learning how to get out of debt, uh, to help people manage what they do have and live within their means. Another application here, uh, as we see the way that, that Paul addresses the individual believers, and so thinking that right now of, of folks individually and where you uh, are situated regarding work. So not, not talking to, again, if you're, if you're retired, you're, you're beyond working age or, or uh, disabled in some fashion. Um, Paul says that to, um, well, let me, let me back up. Think, think about our, our cultural moment right now. We, and we're seeing in the news, we're seeing around us how uh, in the wake of great, let's, let's call it, uh, to give it the benefit of the doubt, in the wake of great generosity, um, meaning uh, meant to offset the, the needs created by the coronavirus shutdown, that many people are not so eager to, uh, to get back to work. I've heard of restaurants that are not opening their dining room, not because of coronavirus, because they don't have the people to staff it. Uh, people are trying to, uh, employers are trying to find people, uh, give people jobs, but nobody is applying. And the attitude seems to be, from some, why work if someone else wants to give me bread? Well, we can have a healthy debate about government programs and, and what, what they incentivize or don't or disincentivize, um, but here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not talking to the president or to Congress or our governor today. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to Christians, to individual believers, and uh, again, if you're too old to work or unable to work, that's one thing. This is not about you, but if you're unwilling to work and, and, you, and you call yourself a Christian, uh, that that's not where you should be. I, I, you know what? I'll just sit home and let them send me a check. You were created for work. This is how why God put us on the world not to be not to be His slaves, but to be His representatives in His creation, working and making something good out of the world to to glorify God and bless other people with the fruit of your labors and to and yeah to provide for yourself. So if that's our calling as, as God's people, according to God's word, and, as, and, and we're saying we follow Jesus, we should not be unwilling to work. If you're unwilling to work and you claim to follow Christ, Paul says to you, now to such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living, verse 12. But then verse 13, and as for you, brothers, so broader church, church as a whole, do not grow weary in doing good. 
So we had the, the application to those individuals who are unwilling, get, to, get a job, get to work for God's glory as a part of your discipleship, as a, a way you follow Christ. But to the church as a whole, who, um, and, and you could say, well, I guess this is, he's just telling the rest of the church who are working, well, keep working. I think it's more specific than that. Cer- certainly working is doing good in the world when you do uh, good work for God's glory. But I think it means the rest of you faithful, hardworking Christians don't give up on being generous with your bread just because some people have taken advantage of you. That's usually typically what, what the, that phrase of, of doing good is some kind of acts of kindness, of mercy, of generosity, of service, of uh, 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 benevolence. Don't grow weary of doing good. And now you can see, you can see why he would need to say that. Right? When... when uh, it would be easy for the little red hen to grow resentful, right? After a time, you've been trying to include and involve people, and the implication of the story, I hope, is that you know, once she got to the end, and if they'd all been working, they'd all be sharing the bread, and the fellowship would be sweet. But after a while, when you feel like you're not getting any help, you're like, you know what? This is mine. I earned it. I deserve it. And the rest of you can just... Don't grow weary in doing good. It's easy to, so easy to be jaded in this world, to be, to be like, ugh, just angry and frustrated at people who don't you, don't, you don't think they're pulling their weight. Don't grow weary in doing good. Yes, there are parameters. Yes, yes, you want to, to, uh, to meet the needs of the truly needy. Um, but I can tell you, as, as one who's been involved, like, with the food pantry and otherwise, there, there's, in the, the broken world that we live in, it's not always easy to understand who the truly needy are, and how, ne- how needy someone might be. And you know what? We, it's fine to err on the side of generosity while not just continuing to give people uh, a, a, a leash that will let them take advantage of you. That's, do, do you understand the, the, the difficult balance there? Follow this example and command. Earn your keep and keep doing good. Don't give up on mercy working hard in your job to support yourself, being generous with what you have to help others in need. This is how we pursue discipleship. This is how we follow Jesus. So that addressed the problem of some of the believers. What about the church's response? These next two points will be shorter. So this is the second part. Preserve fellowship. As a warning, keep away from the brother who won't listen and won't work. As a warning, keep away from the brother who won't listen and won't work. So we saw this at the beginning of the passage, right? Verse 6, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not, according to the tradition that you have received from us. And then he comes back to that, of course, in uh, verse 14. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now, I'm sure that, to some of us at least, that, that could sound a little harsh. Like, oh, wow. But remember, this is part of a bigger picture. Paul does not take a one-strike-and-you're-out approach. All it takes is kind of doing some more thinking, doing some more reading. If you remember, if you look back at First um, Thessalonians, and the end of Paul's first letter, this verse um, that I highlighted back, uh, chapter 5, verse 14. 
And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So, already back there, previous letter, he's telling them to admonish the idle, that means confront and correct them, while still being patient with them. Not, not overly harsh, not like first infraction, bam, we're going we're gonna to come down on you, we're going to drop the hammer. No, be, be patient, but you, do, you need to confront, but with patience. Another implication of that is that it also tells us Paul knew about these idlers uh, way back before his first letter. So just think about it. So he, he's had to have, he knew about it back then. He wrote the first letter. There's some time in between. We've got a second letter. This is coming up again. And even here in this passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, where he says, even when we were with you, we gave you this command. If anyone does not work, he should not eat. So this has come up uh, multiple times. It was not a new problem. Paul had addressed it at least once in person. He's addressed it now twice in letters. If the church has to address it this third time, and the idle idle brothers continue to ignore them, well, let's just, at least we can say that any uh, hard and and difficult response, the consequences are not going to be just a a quick knee-jerk reaction. It's not going to be just a a quick-to-judge kind of uh, situation. And, and by that point, you, you understand this, by, by, you know, three strikes, by that point, the issue doesn't become simply about working or about eating anymore. It becomes an issue of authority and disobedience, submission or defiance. Every parent goes through this, right? When, when you start to get, go from the, just the, oh, the, the baby stage to the toddler years, and you're, you're starting to, to uh, realize that those, those cute little kiddos have a will of their own. And, and you, you know this, you've, you've been in this situation, I'm sure, where you, you, you realize that, um, you know, the, the, the whole situation with the carrots or the broccoli, whatever, that, that whole situation is not about the carrots anymore. When, when you've said, like, we need to eat, no, you need to eat, you need to take three more bites or whatever, and the carrots end up on the floor, it's not about vegetables anymore. It's about who's in, who's in the authority. It's about who's calling the shots. They know it, and you know it. And that's exactly what was going on here. Paul said, hey, we, we, we gave you an example we gave you a command. We've, we've been talking. We've been challenging you as, as missionaries, as, as the, from the church fellowship. The, the, the body has been uh, uh, calling you into account, confronting you on this. And this, is, this has gotten to be a lot, much bigger issue than just holding a job or having some bread. It's become a much bigger issue. This is a challenge. This is a, as we were saying before, this is, this is a failure in discipleship, and, it's, and now it's tr- threatening to rupture, to break, to corrupt the fellowship of the body. When Paul says, keep away from a brother walking in idleness, have nothing to do with him, that means it's not about being snobbish or uh, like the, uh, it's the, the church that's drawing a line in the sand. It's saying, you don't get to say, uh, you, don't, don't, you don't get to make up what it means to be a Christian. You, if you won't recognize the authority of Scripture, if you won't behave as a Christian, then we cannot enjoy Christian fellowship together. And that, that should break our hearts. 
That should sadden us. It's not, that's, we, we get no joy in saying that. So don't imagine uh, Paul telling the believers and the Thessalonians that week, walking through the grocery store up and down the aisle and seeing somebody uh, who is, is being idle and just sort of, you know, a self-righteous, you know, their nose a little up in the air about that. That's, that's not what Paul's going for. Though, we can't soften it too much because there, is, there, there will be something of a relational distance I guess you could say social distancing, but, you know, you know it's, it's different. A, a, a distancing relationally that does, that would provoke shame. Not, not that we're shaming people, not, we're not putting a scarlet letter on their, on their clothing. But, but as we distance ourselves, like, I, I'm sorry, that, but you're not following Christ in the way that we've been called to. And I can't, we can't fellowship in the way that we used to. The, the desire is that they would feel like some something's wrong. Like, what I'm doing is not right. This is, I can't go on living this way and call myself a, a follower of Jesus. And the, and the fact here in this passage that Paul calls it a warning, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother, implies that there is a, there is a positive intention in, these, in this action. It's, we're not simply punishing people. We're, not just, we're just going to kick them out of the church. No, there is a, there's a distancing that yes, we'll bring some, we, we pray, we'll bring some godly conviction, that's the sense of the shame here, a godly sense of conviction that, that will warn them of the danger of their ways and will ultimately be redemptive in the sense of calling them back to obedience and therefore back to fellowship. This is what it means to preserve the fellowship, seeking to do that in one way or another. Excuse me, I've lost my place. There we go. Found it again. Paul calls this a warning. That's the hoped for way to preserve the fellowship, to make a bold move that wakes them up to the consequences of their choices. And then how did Paul describe them walking in idleness? Here's another concern that we have for the fellowship. The end of verse 11, he says, they're not busy at work, they're busy bodies. The idea of busy, I didn't comment on that earlier, the idea of busy bodies here is someone who is always meddling in other people's business. They should have been taking care of business, they're meddling in other people's business. That's the, that was the problem. So do you, do you, this is also, again, a threat to the fellowship, a threat to the, to the health and relationships and the love of the, that should be within the life of the church. It's a recipe for trouble in any family or organization. It is uh, the uh, big problem here in the church. So this strong step of having nothing to do with them is for the good of the individual, warning them, seeking to call them back, and good for the church. Because if they do not turn around, if they do not listen, uh, you cannot have that cancer in the body, that it will be destructive ultimately. So Paul wants them to have the attitude of concern for a wayward brother, not a vindictive spirit or hateful spite. Oh, you want to be a freeloader? Well, you know, uh, your days are over, pal. Looks like somebody's going to be getting hungry. No. Until they prove themselves to be unrepentant, treat them like a brother with whom you want to be reconciled. It's about preserving fellowship one way or another. As a warning, Keep away from the brother who won't listen and won't work. Here's the last part, briefly. In the presence of Christ. A final blessing that Paul gives. God with us will keep us going 
and hold us together. Verse 16, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now, in one sense, these last few verses are just, you know, typical closing of the letter, not necessarily connected to what came just before. And Paul had opened the letter. Uh, maybe you, you see this or flipping the page, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, maybe this is just a sort of stylistic way to end the letter. He started with grace and peace. We'll end the letter with peace, verse 16, and grace, verse 18. But is it more than that? I think it is. In a couple of ways. I mean, one way could be, uh, if you remember back to the beginning of chapter 2, where Paul had said, I didn't want you to be quickly shaken or alarmed by a letter seeming to come from us with false teaching about Christ's return. And he closes, hey, this, this letter, this is legit. This is, this is truth. Uh, and, and folks, when you have what is, when you have what is false, what is false teaching, it's going to leave you unsettled and alarmed when you have the truth? Shouldn't that bring peace? Shouldn't that be, be, uh, give strength? When you have the truth, there's a, a certain peace that comes with that. There, yes, there may be pain ahead. There may be dark days ahead in our, our history and, and in the outworking of God's plan, but, God, but faith is built on the solid promise of God. There's peace in that. There's grace in that. It's a gift. This is God's gift to us. He, and he's, he's saying, I'm, I'm giving you enough to to, to know what you need to know so that you can trust me, so that you can rest in me, so that you can go forward with me. And, and, or, and this too, besides a peace of mind about the Lord's return, don't you think they needed peace within the church from what he's just talked about? With some people meddling in other people's affairs, expecting that others would put food on their table, and now with the, this letter, just think, think about the church listening to this letter thinking uh, like, oh, we're going to have to confront that guy. Oh, this is not going to be fun. I don't know how he's going to take it. Uh, this is like, oh, it doesn't sound very peaceful. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all time and in every way. At the end of both verse 16 and verse 18, the Lord be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. We saw in the previous section where we spent the most of our time this morning commands given in the name of the Lord Jesus, verses 6 and 12. And, and Paul is not just name dropping for the sake of when he, when he wants others to listen to him. Like, I've got some instructions, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, in the name of Jesus, you must do this. Well, y- yes, there is the element of authority there. He's saying, it's not just me. Don't, don't you think of this coming from me. This is coming with the authority of Jesus. But it's about, so it's about authority, yes. But to Paul, Jesus is a person whose presence in the life of the church, makes all the difference. May the Lord be with you all. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. His presence makes the difference. If he is with you, if he is with us, then, brothers and sisters, this church is going to be okay. The Thessalonian church, our church, the church will survive. The church will remain united. The church will grow because he will build his church. Isn't that the heart of the gospel? 
God with us that I put in the notes? Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God here, here among us, with us. And if God is with us, then we have what we need. He came to save us, to live in fellowship with us, and if Jesus is with us in all the disturbances we may face as a church, like the, the, the Thessalonians did, persecution from outside, false teachers infiltrating, uh, idlers bubbling up from within, they don't have to tear us apart. They don't have to stunt our growth. They don't have to keep us from moving forward in discipleship and in fellowship. There's hope for peace if the Lord of peace himself is with us. Jesus is with us. We'll have the grace we need to grow and keep going. To con- the grace we need to confront sin and the grace to repent. The grace to forgive others who have sinned against us and the grace to keep on extending mercy to more and more people. Pursue discipleship and preserve fellowship by working as those who live in the presence of Christ. And we do that together for his glory. Let's pray. Father, I, I don't know the employment status of everyone here today. I, know, I do know there are many that are retired, many who are employed. Uh, I don't know who all might be looking for work, maybe looking for different work, a better job, a, a better place to serve. I pray that, that, that you would give us both a sense of responsibility under, under you to make the most of the gifts that you have given us to make the most of the time that you have given us. But not just for ourselves. To be generous with those in need, to bring glory to you. And I pray that when we all are doing that, that the church as a whole would be healthy and beautiful because you are with us. We pray this in Jesus' name.